right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. What's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Gavetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. A lot of people have today off for work. That is... uh, Not necessarily the case for us. We're back at you, but we're providing you content. We will be out this Friday, so another four-day week for us here. And who knows if we'll get to talk about another KU basketball game because, again, a game canceled. Um, This one not to the extent of the proximity to game time as the Colorado game, but it was announced yesterday that Harvard, due to issues with COVID-19 in their program, will not be making the trip down to Lawrence for that game on Wednesday. So no game between KU and Harvard on Wednesday. Now, what's different about this one and the Colorado one, because of the fact that you have more time in between, you have a chance to maybe last-minute schedule someone. And, and they're still working on that. We haven't seen anything official. There have been some rumors popping around, maybe Nevada. Uh, I know Creighton had a game canceled with Georgetown due to COVID and, and Georgetown's program. They're nearby. KU wants somebody to play. We just haven't heard officially, but if that comes down, we'll give it to you. And that would be a nice little birthday present if KU were to play a game and you know specifically win a game. Um, for Bill Self, it is his birthday today. He's, what, 59? Fifty-nine. Yes. Sorry. Apologies. I uh, didn't mean to sell for that thing to yell info bells at the beginning. I thought I found a better happy birthday song. On oh, YouTube. we know where you got it from now. <laughs> <laughs> Billy Eugene Self Jr. was born today, nineteen sixty-two. Yes, he is fifty-nine. Um, he uh, was born in Okmulgee, Oklahoma. On this day, I love that this is like a it's like a happy birthday song for like a five year old. <laughs> yeah, so Bill old Self friends and new Bill. Yeah. I'm a new friend now since I'm a part mm-hmm. of the show. Well, so happy birthday to Bill Self. That would be like I said, nice birthday present if they could uh, add somebody new to the schedule. And again, we'll kind of wait and see on that. What do you think? You think he like had to deal with? having a birthday so close to Christmas. His dad was a basketball coach. He probably had practice on his birthday and on Christmas for that matter. Hmm. That's a good question. I don't know. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I I don't think he minds, to be completely honest. I mean, it's not like he's the one having to do sprints or anything. That's a good point. Well, no, yeah, I was talking about when he was a kid, though. Oh. He had to do practice. I don't know. But either way, he's... uh, I don't know. I'm sure he would much rather be having a game right now than dealing with this. But, yeah, hopefully they get Nevada going. Happy birthday, Bill Self. All right, the Chiefs clinched the AFC West. Celebration for them, maybe a little bigger than Bill Self's birthday even. Who knows? Six consecutive AFC West title for the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, and big thanks to the Houston Texans, who I 
demolished yeah, the Chargers. We said on Thursday, we were like, there is a path to the Chiefs clinching the AFC West, but it involves um, the Chargers losing to the Texans. So we were like, you know, so we won't even bother with it. But they can clinch a regular playoff spot. Well, Texans beat the Chargers, beat them down. And ironically enough, if the, the Chiefs end up getting the one seed, and the reason they are the one seed right now is because they're a game up on the two seed, which is the Tennessee Titans, who have the head-to-head. But because they're a game up, they obviously have the one seed. And the reason they are a game up on the Tennessee Titans is because the Houston Texans beat the Tennessee Titans. So, oh, yeah, I didn't even think about that. Uh, Houston is just like... Doing them favors. Yeah. They're... I don't know. I, well, now we need... Um, what we need right... What the Chiefs need right now is the Dolphins to do them another solid. The Bills... You know, took out the Patriots, which both I think you and I both picked the Bills mm-hmm. in that game. Um, so now we, the Dolphins play the Titans this week, right? Yes, Dolphins play the Titans, and, and, and we'll get into this in a little. But, okay, um, okay. Yeah, the Texans have become the guardian angel for the Kansas City Chiefs. Not something you would have thought was said, but as far as the Chiefs game specifically uh, against the Steelers, that is about as complete a performance as you could ask for from the Chiefs. A 36-10, to 10, you were dominant on offense, you were dominant on defense, and that's despite the fact that you were missing close to 10 guys with injuries, with COVID issues, and even guys who played like Tyreek Hill. Yeah. You're, you have guys missing practices all week long, and they come back and, and play well, um, missing players for that game. I don't really think you can come away from that game with really any specific negative about what the team did for that one game. It's about as complete a performance as you could ask for, which is always nice when it comes in December as we're getting closer to the playoffs. I said uh, when you were gone last Friday, um, not Friday the 24th, but Friday the 17th, when you were in California, that was the day after the win against the Chargers. I said then it's time to kick stop stop kicking the can down the road and making excuses and yeah but the Chiefs won but this player didn't play or this guy wasn't on or this didn't happen after the Chargers win in Los Angeles I said it was time to stop kicking the can down the road the Chiefs were the best team in the AFC and at that point it was all about defending that and and continuing to remain atop the AFC um, and they were and they they did yesterday they did exactly that it wasn't some you know difficult, you know, need a, need a last-second stand, you know, Ben Roethlisberger's driving and the Chiefs are up 13-10 to 10 and need the defense to step up. Truly the only thing that the defense was mi- – or uh, the only thing that, that, that was missing from that de- game yesterday was a defensive touchdown, and they almost got that. Who was it? It was number 90, got a Ben Roethlisberger fumble. Jaron and returned, Reed. Yeah, returned it to like the seven. So they damn near got a defensive touchdown. So and that was the only thing missing from that game. They were they were outstanding yesterday. And against a team that was vying for a play still is vying for a playoff game. I, I think or playoff spot. And, and I think, you know, the Steelers aren't uh I don't think they're as good as the Chargers, but you beat a team that is is gunning for the playoffs and you crushed them. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that, without you know, without a fully healthy Tyreek Hill and without any Travis Kelsey, uh, it, and it was I don't know how you could be happier than than you would be after after yesterday. Yeah, to your point, like the Steelers going into that game, they showed the graphic. The Steelers at that moment in time in the afternoon slate were the seven seed in the playoffs. So theoretically, you beat a wild card team. You, that was a wild card game. That yeah. was a playoff level game, and you just beat the brakes off of them. It was never a game. 
Um, the saddest moment of the game was the Steelers kicking a field goal down 30 to nothing, but you just wiped the floor with them. And I, like I said, I don't really think you can come away with this game really having any negatives. Now, I'm sure, you know, if you went and pulled up like pro football focus, of course, there's going to be certain players. You could say, well, yeah, but he didn't play so well. Okay, sure. Um, but the sum of the parts, the got sum a dominant of the parts victory. was so good. And Patrick Mahomes continues to like just the progression of what we've seen from him being patient from the beginning of the season to what he is now, taking the checkdowns, taking the short throws, and then when it's there, throwing the deep one to Derek Gore on that rollout to the right and just uh, the fantastic play there. But taking all those checkdowns, so good to watch, so fun to watch, and and he really has, um, I think, added to his game even more, which is crazy because we already knew he is maybe the best quarterback in the NFL. He is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, depending how you want to view that with a guy like Aaron Rodgers. But he is on that special tier of his own. And I did think it was funny, by the way, speaking of pro football focus grades, this is why like, I, I like pro football focus. It has good stuff, but you have to take it sometimes with a grain of salt. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, Patrick Mahomes' pro football focus grade for the game was like a 66 point something. Ben Roethlisberger was a 64. How uh, they came yeah, to I, that? They, yeah, they need to. They need to consider their. Yeah, right. Know, they because, need to recon. Is it interceptable balls? I I don't know. But I don't remember any interceptable balls. But and you got to you've got to go quarterback by quarterback because an interceptable ball for Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes is different than an interceptable ball for, you know, Kirk Cousins. Yeah, there are just certain players who you would trust. They've shown enough times that they can throw they can weave a ball in between two defenders without it being picked off that they just have that ability they have that strength but pff diatribe aside that was everything you were saying you were saying you know on on thursday um this could be a game where you know the chiefs defense plays well Steelers don't have a good offense chiefs defense has been playing well they struggle against the run so chiefs should be able to run but without one or maybe both of the weapons which it ended up being one of them like maybe this is one of those games where you're just looking for Patrick Mahomes to be efficient go 19 of 24 for 200 yards and, and don't turn the ball over and that's what he was he was efficient but he still was able to hit big plays nonetheless yeah. uh, you it's, can't be any less impressed since, with, with him. since they were down since the Chiefs were down 21 13 against the Chargers with 10 minutes left he's thrown for six touchdowns and something in the neighborhood of like 500 yards. And that would be in like five quarters of play. Because he didn't play yeah. basically in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Um, uh, unbelievable. But if I were to ask you. Well, four, four quarters of play. One quarter against the Chargers and three quarters against the uh, Well, Steelers. the fourth in overtime. I guess, yeah. It, I guess, yeah, yeah overtime. Um, Regardless, in, in four plus quarters of, of play. Which is unbelievable. But if I were to ask you, because there are so many positives from this game, what is the most impressive? It can either be a unit, it can be a player, uh, just aspect of the game from what the Chiefs did to the Steelers for you. I would have to say Byron Pringle. I know that's an unoriginal one because he was so you know he he stepped up and he was so good. But yeah, Byron Pringle. He you know he he rebounded from a, a he had a drop that he should have caught, but he, he you know they went right back to him. He rebounded from it. He had um, an amazing move, juke move to get into the end zone yesterday. He. You know, I, I would stop short of saying, okay, now you can declare him as the second wide receiver because I need to see him do it more. But, um, you know, you, you saw – and Andy Reid said this in the locker room where he said, you know, a lot of you younger guys uh, who don't play much got a, got put on got, – got a regular season film to, to put up. And that's a huge deal. And, and yeah, by, to me it's Byron Pringle. How about you? Well, that was really important because of the fact that – 
we've had questions all along who can be the number two receiver and, and one performance doesn't mean that can be the case but just showing that on tape having that ability having that in your back pocket that has to emerge for the Chiefs so that they've that shown they got to think about it. the defenses yeah. have to think about them now for me it was the offensive line um the offensive line was so good in that game opening up holes for the running game it didn't matter which guy they had in there they had a run it was to the right and it was um not I always want to call him Frank Gore but his name's not Derek Frank Gore Derek yeah. Gore had a run to the right where from the the, the camera angle it looked like he was about to be tackled, and then he cut through, and you were like, wow, how did he get through all that? And then they showed on the replay, got about 8 or 10 yards out of it, they showed on the replay an angle from behind, and you just couldn't see the hole because of the the, the angle from the side on, on the TV. But when they showed the replay from the back, he had just this huge hole. It was, yeah, they were terrific. And, and look, they've, they've improved... We've kind of talked for a lot for several weeks now how how strong they are Trey Smith and Creed Humphrey and Orlando Brown and we expect Orlando Brown to be good at um, at run blocking because of where he came from in Baltimore. But we've talked about their strength and their ability to push guys forward in the run block, but their pass blocking has improved it was a lot so good too. that game. And part of it too was you know whenever you're getting the ball out of your hands quickly and making quick passes like that's going to make it, it look a lot better. And there was they mentioned it in the broadcast like. Uh, they were super efficient on throws under two and a half seconds. So that helps the offensive line. But even when that didn't happen, TJ Watt was not a factor in the game at all. I get it. He was dealing with an injury, but he was still even dealing with the injury, a huge factor in the Titans game last week in which they upset the Titans. Uh, they made him a non-factor, which that's pretty crazy because you are talking about as great as, as I don't know, some of the Chiefs offensive linemen, like we talk about how good Creed Humphrey has been or how good his run blocker Trey Smith has been. Orlando Brown has had some some struggles at left tackle. And then at right tackle, you know, that's that's probably the Chiefs' weakest of, of any of their positions. But he was, again, a non-factor. And the one play that sticks out the most in my mind was that goal-to-go situation. And you ended up getting a touchdown is the play where, you know, Patrick Mahomes is just bobbing and weaving behind the pocket, just kind of bouncing on his feet, but not like scrambling out or anything. He had like legitimately five, six, I don't know, maybe seven seconds in the pocket, just roaming around. And then he kind of like finally steps up, throws kind of a side winding pass, fits it into like kind of a tight hole to Byron Pringle for the touchdown. And after immediately after you see him pointing at Orlando Brown and you see yeah. him pointing at all these different offensive linemen, like that's on you. And that was absolutely incredible to watch between not just the offensive line, how well they blocked, but that was, you know, there have been criticisms against Patrick Mahomes for not always stepping up into the pocket, not always um, letting the pocket form around you and kind of bailing too early at times. And I think that was another, you go back to the evolution of Patrick Mahomes, as much as it's hard to say he is evolving when he already might be the best at what he does, but just the combination of those two in the offensive line really feels like it's clicking right now. Yeah, yeah. We had these uh, conversations before the season started. We said, don't necessarily be like, I don't know, maybe expect the uh, offensive line to kind of come together to mesh later in the season. It might take some time. And and I don't think we really, you know, throughout the course of the season got to a point where we were questioning the offensive line because the offensive line was never bad this season. But I think from seeing what it was in that game and what it's been the past couple weeks to what it was at the beginning of the season, which was a fine unit, to what it is now, which maybe is a top five unit in the NFL, it's pretty clear those guys are really meshing together. And You know, I probably undervalued not just them meshing together. I probably undervalued how important it was going to be for them to mesh with Patrick Mahomes. I wonder how many 
how many hours they spent not just on the practice field but in the film room with with you know Mahomes going okay this is how these guys block and the guys in in, in the offensive line going okay this is how this guy runs and you know this is how he looks in the pocket and, and them having to gel you know Mahomes saying this is this is what I view as a comfortable pocket and and the offensive line going okay well that's not my strength so I need to go ahead and, and figure out, um, you know, how to block towards Mahomes' strengths, or Mahomes need to say needs to say I need to do something a little different. Either way, I, I just I didn't think much about. I, I thought a lot about how those five offensive linemen needed to mesh together. I didn't think enough about how how much they needed to mesh with Mahomes. Now you're starting to see that. So that was ultra impressive, and you also have the I think the impact when you have. Um, second string guys or secondary players step up into bigger roles. That was another big takeaway for me from that game. Travis Kelsey out. Um, Noah Gray didn't have like a, a a huge game or anything like that. And, but I, I don't know. You just didn't really have to worry about that because the offense was still clicking even without Patrick Mahomes. Byron Pringle, as you mentioned, was still really good. He even had that early drop in the game, but he shook it off. Um, and the Chiefs, like you were getting at with Pringle, like the Chiefs could still use another weapon or two in the passing game, but that'll be off-season conversation because you're stuck at this point with what you have. But it's good to know. Exactly. That, yeah. Because what you saw against the Steelers, it, it, not an all-star cast, it looked more than good enough for you at least in in a playoff-level game against a wild-card-level team, and that's, that's a positive. But this is just a complete 180 transformation where this team has gone. The offense has shown so much more patience. The defense continues to be stellar after having the horrible first four weeks of the season. You went from being a defense that basically every offense you played against was like playing against the 1999 Rams to now you've become a defense that is one of the better defenses in the NFL. How Offensively, many- you've gone from being a team who could only hit the big play to now one that does a little bit of everything, and it is night and day from where the Chiefs were at the 3-4 and four start to where they are now at 11-4. and four. How many times did we talk about how frustrated we were with the defense because we just kept saying, just get up to be top 20 because they were his, they were one of the not just one of the worst in, uh, defenses in the NFL this year they were one of the worst defenses in NFL history like you said they made and that you weren't that wasn't hyperbole what Derek said there there's statistical evidence to suggest that they made all their opponents look like the 1999 St. Louis Rams that was that wasn't hyperbole what he said that was a fact and so they went from that and all of us going just get in the top 25 just get in the top 20 and let's hope the offense gets it going, to now they're one of the best units in all of football. And, and that, it, it's just, I can't believe how much better, you know, we were just all begging these units to go from terrible to average, and now they're all outstanding. Absolutely crazy. As big of a turnaround as it was uh, when they started 1-5 and five and then ended up winning a playoff game that year, because this is going from being a below-average team to the AFC favorite that was going from being a bad team who was going to have a high pick to being a team who could 
you know, win a playoff game. So it's 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 a little different, but it, it is just crazy a couple of the turnarounds that Andy Reid has engineered. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. David Lawrence going to join us at 425. We are going to uh, also give some of our favorite KU athletic memories of the year, and we're going to actually release a bracket tomorrow that people can vote on. So uh, we'll talk about that later in the show. But this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. About half past three, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 at 1320 KLWN. David Lawrence will join us at 425 here um, to talk some uh, of his favorite KU memories from the 2021 season in, in football or just in general with KU Athletics. Well, I can think of a basketball memory he'll share considering he played for Don Fambro. There'll be a particular game against a particular team. Oh, basketball yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Very, very happy about Yeah, that might, I don't, I don't know. I, I would think that the Jared Casey one will be number one. Oh, I got. Oh, yeah. If it involves football, it'll be yeah. number one. But the the win over Missouri, even though it's not football, will get a shout out. I'm sure. By the way, we said happy birthday in the open to Bill Self. It is also the birthday of one Jamal Charles. Yeah, what a guy. I know that a guy who at one point in my life had me actually believing the Chiefs were going to win a playoff game, which is a because, tough task. Right? Yeah, yeah. It was. There or was was the not two, anymore. Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. That was the the team that out of nowhere went 10 and 6 and and won the AFC West and uh hosted the Ravens and the Chiefs defense kind of let the Ravens go down the field on them in the wild card game to start but then let him do uh, held him to just a field goal offense takes the field and Jamal Charles busts free for like a 45 yard touchdown and the whole place goes insane and I thought oh my god this might actually happen the Chiefs went on to be outscored 27 to nothing from then on out but you know what I got to see it. He's uh, 35 years old. Do you think of the Chiefs? I mean, Clyde Edwards-Alaire has the injury, which it sounds better than than it looked. Um, but if the Chiefs are like, hey, we need a running back for these final, what, two weeks plus postseason, could Jamal Charles at 35 after not playing in the NFL for three years? No. Could he give the Chiefs good third-string running back? I, I don't think so. I Probably mean, he, not. He, he, had, he had not the even taken time. The last four years of his career were... And he hadn't even taken time off to uh, it, when the, the he tried to give it a go with the Broncos, and he couldn't get a, uh, even get on the field there. I just think after that second ACL, man, didn't he try? Didn't he make a comeback after the second ACL? Yeah, I didn't remember this. So um, he obviously ended with the Chiefs. Twenty sixteen was his final season. He played three games, rushed twelve times for forty yards, and then twenty seventeen. He went to the Broncos, like you mentioned, played in 14 games, but he only got like 70 carries. And then he he tried to make it with the Jaguars in 2018. He only played two games, had six carries for seven yards. And he, then, he was, I don't think people really understand, he has the most, he has the, the still to this day the highest uh, yard average yards per carry of any player in the history yeah. of the NFL. And if you go back and look at the players he's above, Emmett Smith and Jim Brown and all those players, 
if you go even though they had more more carries in all if you go back to the if you just equal out the amount of carries he had and look at where they were in average yards per carry at that point in their career he's still higher well I, I don't know if he'll ever make the Hall of Fame. I think as time goes on, his case will get better because you'll have more people who look at those sorts of things, the efficiency numbers. Like, if you ever look at the like the EPA per play, which is a big yeah. um, stat that that a lot of analytics folks like, um, or like rushing yards added, stuff like that, the EPA per play, he always just like jumps off the chart. He's like the number one running back of all time, um, which is uh, pretty incredible. And I guess uh, Terrell Davis is getting in the Hall of Fame, correct? Um or did he just get I think in? The I Hall thought he was already in, but yeah, he might have just got in like a year or two ago, or he's getting in this next year. I can't remember, but he he is a Hall of Famer now, and that was always the case for Terrell Davis. He had four, I mean, he had three great seasons. He had one other season where he had eleven hundred yards. No other season above seven hundred and fifty rushing yards. And and the case was like, what do we give it? Because clearly, this guy was one of the best running backs in the NFL for a four year stretch at a position where longevity isn't as important as other positions. If you have four great seasons as a quarterback, you're not getting in because yeah. longevity is more important there. Unless you're Troy Aikman. That's true, but he has the three yeah, Super you Bowls. You have to win which, a heap of Super Bowls if you're going to do that. Exactly. And with uh, Terrell Davis, you hit the heights of a 2,000-yard season, which that's something that Jamal Charles didn't have. But you have probably, I don't know, you have 2010 where he had— I don't think he had—I don't think Terrell Davis caught as much as— Jamal Charles, no, that's though, the right? thing. He was used so much in the passing game, too, not just the running game. Yeah, if you look at so Terrell Davis had two seasons with over 2,000 yards from scrimmage, rushing and receiving. His best was 2,200 in that 2,000-yard rushing season. And then he had an 1,800 season, a 1,400 season, no other seasons above 800 yards from scrimmage. For Charles, he had almost 2,000 um, twice, 2013 and 2010. He had over 1,700 in 2012, over 1,400 in 2009, over 1,300 in 2014, then no seasons over 700. So honestly, like the numbers are pretty comparable from Jamal Charles Jamal Charles to Terrell Davis. I think he might end up in the Hall of Fame. He is a case. What's your favorite Jamal Charles memory? Because I think you and I mm -hmm. might have the same one. I mean, it's, it's impossible. Like the, the Ravens playoff game, it's impossible not to look back on that memory and then think, know what happened put it, afterwards, Yeah, you have right? to put it in the context of the fact that the Chiefs lost that game 30-7. Yes. to 7. But it's also really hard not to pick that one. That was pretty amazing. Yeah, it was. I'm going to go to a game that... Um, but I wonder if, they, if the one you're about to say might be the other one. That, Broncos in 09. Okay, see, that was going to be my third the, the one. Chiefs, the Chiefs had, you know, they were bad that year. That was Todd Haley's first year. They went. They were, at that point in the season, 3-12. and 12. The only thing they could possibly do... Uh, in that game against the Broncos was keep the Broncos out of the playoffs, which they did successfully. Jamal Charles either set a Chiefs record or NFL, or a, uh, it was either an NFL record or a Chiefs record for most yards from scrimmage. He had like 252 yards from scrimmage that day, um, and they just pulverized the Broncos. It's like 46-23 or 45-23 or something. They just annihilated Denver um, and 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 pushed the Broncos out of the playoffs. That would probably be mine. That was a fun one. That would, like I said, be number three on my list. The other one that would be up there was the game against the Raiders in uh, 2013. Oh, yeah. Chiefs won 56-31. to 31. Yeah. But, 
I mean, the Raiders putting up 31 points almost makes that game sound like it was competitive. I don't remember it ever being competitive, to be completely honest. No, they had two games like that. They had another one against Washington that was the exact same way. Well, I'm looking at the box score now, and I'm like, why is this one of my favorite games? Because if I read off this rushing line to you of Jamal Charles, you'd be like, okay, he had eight carries for 20 yards and a touchdown. Was but his receiving? Yes, he had eight catches for 195 yards and four touchdowns. Yeah. So he touched the ball 16 times and, and scored and five touchdowns. Go, I would I would bet that his yards after catch were insane because I remember a lot of those were, were screens. just screens. I, I uh, saw, I forget if it was, oh gosh, it might have been Jeff Allen. I, I don't, it, it was some Chiefs offensive lineman on this team and uh he was just like, I remember from that game, because it's not just this. I mentioned he had eight catches. He had eight targets, so all of them were catches, <laughs> and half of his targets were touchdowns. Um, oh, but I remember awesome. whoever this offensive lineman said something on Twitter like a week or two ago when this game got brought up, and he was like, I just remember from that game, one of the Raiders' defensive linemen was yelling, they're running the same yeah, 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 play, yeah. and we can't stop it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yep. Yeah, yeah that was... That was so, uh, yeah, Jamal was mm -hmm. so fun to watch, and he, um, you know, I, I think this is a, a something you can safely say now in Kansas City because at one point there were people that actually thought Matt Castle was a good quarterback, um, but now that you've seen a good quarterback, <laughs> yeah. I think they know. Jamal Charles has everything to do with Matt Castle's one Pro Bowl year mm -hmm. because that was Jamal, 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 Hey, look, we're at the five. Let's have Matt Castle roll Dwayne, out and throw it to Tony Moyaki yeah. or Dwayne Bow. Jamal Charles, what they they treated Jamal Charles early on until they got Alex Smith. Really, they treated Jamal Charles like a like a bad high school football coach with a great team would treat his <laughs> running back. Like you know, there are always high school mm -hmm. running high school football get teams that are like, you know, they're like nine and zero. And everyone's like, oh, they're so good. And then you look, and they only run like four plays, and mm -hmm. it all goes to the same running back, and that's their whole team. That is how the Chiefs treated Jamal Charles until they got Alex Smith. And Alex Smith was a fine quarterback. He was he obviously wasn't Mahomes level, but he was a fine quarterback. You could have, plus in the mind of Andy Reid, you could have Alex Smith combined with Reid. It gave you a more dynamic offense um, than they had uh, with, um, you know, from basically 09 to 2010. And how about, I mean, that was Jamal Charles and Brandon Albert came from the um, Jared Allen trade. Yeah, that's a pretty good haul. That's a good haul. I mean, obviously, it's dependent on how you draft after You watched him play in college, didn't you, Jamal? I actually saw his last college game at the Holiday Bowl uh, when it was Texas-Arizona State, and he, he had like 200 and, and something yards. From he didn't win MVP. I, I don't know how. It was just one of those weird things where it's just like, oh, we'll just give it to the winning quarterback. If, if you could add any player to this Chiefs team, from, let's say, I don't know, 2000 and on, would Jamal Charles be the answer? Because I just think yeah, about... Yeah, I mean, when like, you think of what he can do in the screen game... Clyde Edwards-Alaire, I think, has one or two 20-yard runs this year. He's not a home run hitter. He's yeah. a... He's a four or five yard guy. Which is a bummer because they drafted him yes. to be a home run. And hitter. they also have the offensive line. I, I remember Daniel Jeremiah early this season was like, if the Chiefs had a more explosive running back, these. 10-yard gains would be touchdowns. Yeah, and would, I, I can't help but thinking with those holes you see the offensive line opening up if they had Jamal Charles. Plus, he's a good receiver with Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. I, I mean, I, good night. Yeah, I, I would say him. I mean, the only other one I would pick, but this has nothing to do with improving the team. It would just because I would love – I want to 
Jamal and the other one that I would love to see have a Super Bowl ring is Derek Johnson. Yeah, but Derek, I, I don't think Derek Johnson would have as a big of impact on this team as um. What Jamal if I Charles limited would. it to offense? Yeah, Jamal. Because clearly we could make like probably a better case to have a defensive player. You know, but yeah, Jamal Charles because he just his, Tony Gonzalez too, right? Imagine yeah, that oh, two yeah. tight end, two tight end set, <laughs> two very different tight ends mm-hmm. also. Um, but yeah, I, I still just. Because that really the only explosive, the only place on the offense where the Chiefs are not explosive right now is the running back, mm-hmm. and that would make them explosive yeah, would. at the running back. You could probably argue Mitchell Schwartz too, like in his prime, like uh, Von Miller in his prime would never get a sack on on Mitchell yeah, Schwartz. Willie like, Rove that would obviously help, but uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, any of those the the Chiefs offense a lot, but yeah, I think Jamal Charles would be at the top of the list. But anyway, uh, with the Chiefs' current running back situation uh, mentioned earlier, uh, some. Kind of good news for the Chiefs as far as that goes. Ian Rappaport reported x-rays on the collarbone of Chiefs running back Clyde Edwards-Alaire were negative. Which shocked me. Yes, because that looked really bad. I texted Derek yesterday. As soon as it happened, I said, that's a broken collarbone. Well, anytime you see him fall on the shoulder and there's a 300-pound man on top of you, right? Um, But he's going to have an MRI tomorrow to determine how serious it is, what it is. But clearly by being negative means it's not broken. And Ian Rappaport also adds... Uh, some good news following the test. There is swelling, but no structural damage, and the injury is not season-ending. Clyde Edwards-Alaire should return shortly. Now, how shortly? I don't know. I would imagine if the Chiefs... I don't know. Uh, again, I have no idea what this injury is. I'm They'll be doctor, playing but, this week the same time as the Titans, yeah, for whatever that's There worth. is a chance if they... Like, if he's out this week and they beat the Bengals and the Titans lose They'll to the Dolphins, then nobody's, most of the starters n- nobody's will be out. playing the next week. Exactly. And then you would get a bye week on top of that, and I would imagine then he would be back for the playoffs. Yeah. So I, I don't think it'll be that big of a deal. But not to be mean because the guy got injured and, and, you know, it is what it is. But just being candid, even if Clyde is out, like, do you view that as much of a drop-off for the offense? No, I think Clyde is – I think there are two sides with the Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. There's the side that judges him against the fact that he was a first-round pick, and in that, if you judge him from that, then you're disappointed, and that's fine. But if you just judge him on, is he a productive player on this team, never mind the draft pick, yeah, he's a productive player. But he's not... What 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 did you say earlier? He's he's the difference between leaving a five dollar tip at a restaurant yeah. or a four dollar tip. Yeah, where it's like either way, I'm still getting my food, I'm still getting my meal, and I'm still tipping the waitress or waiter, but it's just a slightly yeah, different it's, it's, thing, right? I, yeah, I, he's not the difference between a Super Bowl, a Super Bowl. Not. Yeah, because if you win a Super Bowl, it's going to be because the defense keeps playing Especially well, the offensive figure- line keeps blocking, and Patrick Mahomes does well, and Andy Reid has good, you know. I just think he's more. He's further proof that you don't spend a, a, that pick on a on a running back. But again, you can go back. I mean, there were a couple wide. Was it um, Kendall? There were a couple wide receivers right after him that have been really good. I think DK um, Metcalf, maybe. No, that was the McCole Hardman no. draft. AJ Brown, maybe. Mm. Uh, anyway, um, but the point is, if you judge him against the first round pick, he's he hasn't been good. If you judge it, he hasn't lived up to that anyway. But if you just judge him as a good, as a solid contributor, he has been. But he's also he's not the difference between a Super Bowl and no Super Bowl. But again, I don't want anybody to be hurt, so I'm glad no. he's better. No, and uh, Andy Reid said at his presser they expect Jet McKinnon to be coming off the IR soon. Even yesterday, he only had three yards of carry. And, yeah, and uh, like nine for twenty-seven. The touchdown yeah. he had was awesome. It was though. great. 
So, yeah, I don't think it's that big. I, but, and when you factor in that he's he struggles in multiple ways, he struggles in the passing game. In for, first off, Williams is a better pass blocker than him, and secondly, Williams is a better pass catcher than him. So the, yeah, that's I think where the distinction is for me. You're getting way more as a receiver out of Daryl Williams than Clyde Edwards-Helaire. So from that standpoint, it's not much. But I, I do think Clyde has actually been a better runner. Then Daryl like Williams is averaging 3.7 yards per carry. Clyde's at 4.4. So it, it is a slight increase there. But with the emergence of Derek Gore, I almost think Derek Gore might be the best of all three of them on just running. Just plays. purely running? Yeah. And so from that standpoint, I don't think you miss much, but you also never want to lose depth, especially that yeah, position yeah, yeah. where you're depth. rotating guys in. And that's the thing. We're talking depth here. That That's why it's such a luxury. We're talking about depth. Um, but I still... I'll take. I'll still, still now. I take Williams over over Clyde Edwards-Helaire because of what we just said. He, he can. He's a better. He's a better catcher, and he's a better pass blocker. So those are immediately. You've got him on third and third and five and longer. So Clyde Edwards-Helaire is not on the field anyway. Unfortunate, but not something they can't weather. It's uh, more about just kind of the big name, and I don't just mean literally, I mean just the fact that he was a first-round pick and everything. But All right, with Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. The Chiefs' path to the one seed has become a little bit more clear. Let's discuss on the other side. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Tough getting out of bed this morning after your weekend-long bender? Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. Instead of focusing on Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was right now on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson. When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. It's that time on a Monday, 405 here on KLWN and Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Dravetta, Derek Johnson. This is your case of the Mondays. Real quick at the start of this, this isn't something that happened over the weekend, but uh, Oklahoma State at Texas Tech, uh, the game has been moved to January 13th from January, I don't know what the previous date was, um, but it has been moved to January 13th because of issues in Oklahoma State's program. That is supposed to be KU's second Big 12 game. They're supposed to play at Oklahoma State on January 4th. I wonder if that game's going to yeah, be Yeah, well, if that was any time around January 4th. I mean, the KU's first non or first conference game is the first, so if that game was supposed to be on the first, then you'd have to think that, that would involve KU could be affected by that come the fourth. Not great, Bob. Yeah, it's it's frustrating. As you mentioned last segment, there's, there's new regulations coming out which could help with these sorts of things. Uh, for those who missed it, it was if you were sick, um, you only had to you had uh, five days of isolation plus five days of mask wearing as long as after the five days of isolation you were no longer symptomatic. So you, if you kept test positive, you have five days in quarantine. And if you're asymptomatic, after that you can come back to work or school, whatever you're doing, but you have to be in a mask. So that's those are the new regulations. Um, Hopefully that, you know, in general, you know, for human reasons, we hope that that's a good sign for this, this COVID stuff to be over soon, um, or at least uh, more mild soon. Um, but when it comes to sports, that also could be a sign that, that things could be getting back to normal there, too. Yeah, and that game was supposed to be on January 1st. So, so it was. So, yeah, that it's could... before the, the KU one, who knows, especially with this new rule. 
yeah, five days yeah. could end up being the difference, five and ten. So we'll just wait and see. Uh, but over the weekend, our, our case of the Mondays, Christmas Day, NBA games. To me, that always feels like when the NBA season really starts. I think it should start. I think that I think that is when it should start every year. One of my favorite NBA seasons was the 11-12 season, and it was unfortunate because it started on Christmas due to a lockout. But that, yeah, I agree. That's when I think, I don't know, I wouldn't hate it if they, and they'll never do this because there's so much money involved, but I think if, if knock it down from 82 games to 60-something games and have it start on Christmas Day, I think that's beautiful. I do kind of feel bad, though, like part of me, not as much about, like I did see this, like some people saying, you know, why do we even play any sports on Christmas Day? Um, I because we're I, I don't fat be, pigs. Yeah, that like to sit yeah. around and watch. Sports. Realistically, we probably shouldn't. But here's the thing: all these players and, and coaches are getting paid like millions and millions of dollars. Yeah, I mean, there, there's people to that have do, big games like yeah, this. Think more about the people that work at the concession That's stand where that I aren't have the making the money. That's where I have the problem. The people who are working at the part-time workers, the people who are cleaning up the arena. There needs to be something for that. I hope they're getting nice Christmas bonuses. I hope they're getting paid like double for working on a holiday or something, because that's that's where it stinks. Um, and and you can always celebrate right Christmas after with your family, or you can do it before. You can do it on Christmas Eve. Yeah, we always celebrate, and this has nothing to do with work. We just always celebrate it on Christmas Eve in my house. Yeah, so you can work around it. It's it's not that you just don't get a Christmas. Like that's not the case. I just I wish there would be something else like. Maybe we should just find a way for that to work, but I do get it. Like these games specifically, I, I'm sure as like regular season inventory goes, like this makes the NBA the most money of regular season games. It's certainly until the playoff races really yeah. kick into high gear. I mean, because at the end of the season, you've got the MVP race and you've got the playoff races, but this has to be the biggest thing. If you think of the in, in NBA in terms of NCAA basketball and think of first semester versus second semester. This has to be the biggest first semester billing 100%. of the year. Yeah. The only thing that would probably be close would be like opening night. And even that's not one set no. night. And so but yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd like to Day see games, this. Um, I'd like to see the season shortened too. And th- this would work in conjunction. You knock it down to, to 70 games or whatever. And then you start on Christmas. Yeah. Day. I lied. Yeah. That's I just I think that's when it starts. That's that's that is when it begins in earnest for me. Yeah. By the way, speaking of the NBA. This story came out a couple days ago. There's new renewed momentum for the creation of a future in-season NBA tournament among the league's 30 teams. They've been discussing elements of the tournament, which would become part of the calendar as soon as either the 2022-23 seasons, that would be next season, or the 2023-24 seasons, the season after they, that. They would the need something. It would either need to do one of two things, or maybe even both. You would have to get it to the point where either making the championship or winning it gets you an automatic playoff bid or some sort of bonuses for for participating and winning it. Like or you would have to cut down regular season games. Like you can't the the players aren't going to have 82 regular season games and then you go by the way we're adding a 32 team tournament single elimination and them saying, "Yeah, well fine, we'll do that for just our regular salaries." They're going to have to get paid more, I would think. And I'm fine with that. I think the more, you know, you play more, you should get paid more. But I, you know, I, that would be that would be fun. Um, I don't know how, you know, I think if it's one of those things that would be a lot of fun its first year and then dwindle off in popularity as time went on. I think part of this, too, like the, the basketball tournament that goes on every summer, 
there's something cool about the idea of like the single elimination tournament. The problem here is that it just doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Like, okay, this is what they're saying would, would be part of it. It said negotiations have centered on it, and they would basically have a um, have pool play as part of the regular season schedule. So, like, you would still have regular season games that counted toward the regular season, but there would be certain nights where it's like, okay, but this game also counts as a toward pool, pool play. play to this. And then you would go to an eight-team single elimination tournament. I'll say this. That would culminate prior to Christmas. And it oh. would also shorten the regular season from 82 to 78 games. Uh, see, my idea was going to be different. Don't culminate before Christmas. Have culminate the quarterfinals. Christmas? No, have the quarterfinals oh. be on Christmas. That's an interesting, uh, kind of like big bowl games on or yeah. January 1st. Yeah, exactly. Um, but have the quarterfinals be on Christmas Day. Well, this would be the the stakes part of it because it's like, again, why do this? Or, you know, at the end of the year, th this has always bothered me with soccer, the idea that they have this like FA Cup, for instance, in, in the Premier League in England. You Let's say you win the FA well, they Cup. they have the exact same thing in here. They have the U.S. Open Cup. It's the exact same Perfect. concept. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. let's say you win the U.S. Open Cup, but you just get smoked all season long in, in like the just regular MLS standings. You don't make it to the playoffs. Do you that, celebrate that? Like, oh, what, how do we view that, that season? So that doesn't happen often, but there was, I think, in 12 or 11, um, a team beat, and I think they beat a decent team like Liverpool or um, Arsenal. They beat somebody big in the FA Cup championship and got relegated. Yeah, <laughs> they were, right. They were neat. So they were at the pre... I know you still celebrate that because it, it, it involves some of the big... It involves the biggest teams... It just happens to also involve some of the smallest teams. I, I guess in the same sense, it's like similar to how like when when KU wins the Maui Invitational or something. It's yeah. like, you know, we don't at the end of the year go. In, MLS Cup, they have this thing called the Tremble, which is um, you never, I don't know if anybody's ever done it, but you, you win the U.S. Open Cup, the Supporter Shield, which means you won the regu best regular season record, and the MLS Cup. It's all three. So, I mean, there are reasons. I mean, you they hang. I mean, Sporting Kansas City paints their wall for U.S. Open Cup wins. It's not nothing, but it's not as big. I think if you ask anybody, even in the EPL, which doesn't have a playoff like the MLS does, I think anybody would rather win the Premiership Championship over the FA Cup. Yeah, so I, I guess that's fine. I just wonder, from, like, the fan perspective, is this really going to get more viewership because the stakes, like, it doesn't lead to an NBA championship, doesn't lead to an NBA title, but... They have discussed a purse of $1 million per player for the winning team, which, again, like for the, the basketball tournament that happens in the summer, these guys are playing overseas. They're making, if they're a good player, maybe they're making a million dollars in Europe, but a lot of them are probably making five figures, six figures in Europe. Yeah. So winning $1 million or $2 million as a team, that's like a very big deal. You're like doubling your salary by the time you split that up between everyone. With this, is LeBron going to care because he's million making forty bucks. million dollars, yeah. is he going to go? I really need that extra mil. I don't know. I will say this to the point of of the um, to the point of the uh, the the viewership. I do think so. I think most NBA fans. I know this isn't true, but I think a lot of uh, a lot of your average NBA fan would view a a regular season NBA game on December twenty first. As meaning nothing. I know mm -hmm. it doesn't mean nothing, but they would view it as, as meaning nothing. I think if you made this tournament, they would be more apt to watch it, even though it technically means as much, meaning nothing. Um, 
I think they would still watch it because there's something when you when you add teams to a bracket and a trophy is involved. I think it just there's attracts cool more about people. That. Like nobody's watching Boston College versus whoever, but they're gonna now because it's in the military bowl. Yeah, or, or you know, that's use, a good point. You know, if, if something about you know the stakes don't have to. It doesn't matter ultimately. It's not a regular season game, but for some reason. If, if there's the opportunity to hold up a trophy, more people watch those games. That's a good point. It's probably more merchandise opportunities, too, with the T-shirts they're yeah. going to sell and everything. So it's going to make them more money. So it is a smart, I guess, venture from that you, aspect. You'd have to put it in Vegas every year, like the championship in Vegas every year. That'd be right? cool. Yeah. Like you'd have to make cool. it a destination. Well, what I kind of wonder if it's going to happen like this, though, and honestly, this would actually make me almost more likely to watch it because of the fact that, like I said, I do wonder... What's going to be the stakes here? I would almost be more interested if, like I said, with LeBron, is he going to really care about the extra million dollars? Is he going to just say, I don't even want our team to make it to because this tournament because I don't want to play the extra games. Yeah. And they're all a million years old. I except- wonder if this becomes something where it's like, hey, we're in the tournament. This is an opportunity for our young guys who maybe are at the end of the rotation. They're playing sporadically. And we get to like learn about some of these young players yeah. who we're not seeing as bad. Like imagine a, a Frank Mason who uh, maybe he's bouncing between the G League or yeah. The what, NBA what if or they something. let you? What if you let they let you add to your roster? Yeah. Like what's an NBA roster? Fifteen. It's it's fifteen, and then they have or, or no, maybe it's no. I thought it was fifteen, and then you have two two way guys who are like between up and down. So what so if they let 17. you make it an even nineteen or twenty, and then you know for this tournament you can bring up that'd be cool. Um, and we get like new emerging heroes about, and, and in, stuff like that. You could still do this in Vegas because they have a football team. But I'll just say, how about you do it like the Final Four and the championship is in an NFL stadium? Mm. I don't know if they they wouldn't sell it. I don't think they would. The, yeah, the Final Four does. But, That's the problem. Yeah, that'd be cool though if they played these games also in places that don't have NBA teams. Yeah, yeah. They like, play it in North Dakota. Play it in Montana. Well, play it have it in, to be a place with a big population. Yeah, but, but whatever. So like, play it in Vegas. You know, yeah, Vegas played in Nashville. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Like played in places where they don't have an NBA Kansas team. City. And this is your opportunity. Exactly. That'd actually be cool. Now I'm starting to get on board with this. You've convinced me. Uh, more college football bowl games have been canceled due to COVID. The Hawaii Bowl was canceled. That was supposed to be on Christmas Eve. The Fenway Bowl, which is supposed to be um, in a couple days, I think, is canceled. Military Bowl, which was supposed to be tonight between Boston College, who you alluded to, and East Carolina, that was canceled. And then. We already had uh, some other teams bow out. Miami bowed out of the Sun Bowl. That um, still might get played. Yes, that might still get played because the uh, one team bowed out from the Arizona Bowl. Central Michigan, who's in the Arizona Bowl, might move over to the Sun Bowl to play Washington State. It is a mess. All these games are getting canceled. I just hope that the big bowl games, the the Rose Bowl, the New Year's Six, the, the College Bowl playoff especially, doesn't get affected by this. Nick Saban, I still to this day believe Nick Saban doesn't allow his team to celebrate their 09 national championship because they won it with Colt McCoy going out in that game. I wonder <laughs> if they win this thing on a on a COVID mm-hmm. default, he'll just be like, throw away the trophy. This doesn't count. Yeah. How do, do you think if a team wins the trophy, because we mentioned those like forfeiture rules where if two teams from the other side of the bracket um, bow up because of COVID and then like Alabama were to win their game, Alabama would be the national title winner. Or let's say all three of the other playoff teams bowed out and then Alabama won the title just because everybody else was eliminated. Would they do like a locker room celebration? I have no idea. Like, how would you would feel be, if you were a player? It would be such a letdown. 
Would you feel like you won the national championship? Yeah. I don't think you it would. It would be such a letdown. But then again, you could make the argument, well, there's nothing different than that, theoretically, because Alabama is the number one team to just, you know, 15 or more than 15 years ago, 30 years ago, as if they just... Basically, their bowl game you was had to the wait. Georgia game, right? Yeah, you had to wait till the way it used to be. And then it was be, just based on like who was if, number if, one if you, in the poll. Yeah, exactly. You had to wait. If you were number one in the poll, if you were number two in the poll, or number three, like if you were number two or number three in the poll, and number two in their bowl game beat number 17, but number three in their bowl game beat number one, you would just have to wait till the next day to find out did number two jump to number one because they, did, they, they won. Or did number three jump to number one because they actually defeated the number one team? Things like that. Yeah, you basically, the, the, they have, what would happen is the press shows up, all the administration shows up, and the whole party has just spent sitting in the office all day waiting for calls from the AP and UPI and Sports Illustrated and USA Today to who's determined their national champion. Yeah. So that would be pretty boring. Yeah, that really would. I hope that doesn't happen. And we already talked about how stupid it is that they couldn't just delay it and push back the Once game. Once again, there's not we, we looked it up. There is nothing going on in <laughs> no, Lucas Oil Stadium that you could not just push that thing. You could have it literally on any day besides a Colts playoff day. Last story, uh, Wyoming, after winning the Idaho Potato Bowl, beat Kent State a couple Craig, days. Craig Bull's still their coach. He is, former North Dakota State guy, now at Wyoming. Um he went to Twitter because their quarterback, after the game, went into the transfer portal. And this kind of caught some people off guard. He ended up, I don't know if he's, he's picked a destination yet. Um, but Craig Bull took to Twitter. I think this is through the Wyoming football account. But it says from Wyoming head coach Craig Bull. And it's a big graphic. It has a picture of Craig Bull. It has a picture of Josh Allen. The college football landscape is changing with the one-time transfer rules and NIL. Our staff anticipated this movement and have a clear vision to navigate these uncharted waters. After successfully early after a successful learning early signing day, Cowboy football will address the need to sign a quarterback via the transfer portal or junior college. We believe this is a great opportunity for a transfer quarterback to come in and make an impact on our program. We've seen that before when we brought Josh Allen into our program, and we're excited for the next chapter of Cowboys football. He's basically, this is just like a job listing. Yeah. Can you Could you imagine if we get to a point where, like, on, um, like, different job listing sites, I'm trying to think of the, the different Indeed. ones. Indeed. And stuff like that. Instead of just being, like, you know, part-time, come work at my restaurant as, as a waiter. Come work at, you know, my uh, movie theater as, like, a ticket attendant or something. Defensive lineman, yeah. Miami. <laughs> Job requirements must be at least six foot two, two hundred and seventy yeah. pounds. Able to lift four hundred pounds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting thought. I didn't even think about that. Um, I don't know. I, I just keep thinking back to the who'd they play in their bowl? It was a, it was it was like Kent State, an absolute yeah. hideous uniform bowl. A lot of a lot of uh, ugly, a lot yellow. of gross yellow. Yeah, it was. All right, that is case of the Mondays with Adam Rivetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. On FM 1017, 1320 KLW, David Lawrence joins us next. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. This is RCST 
Derek Johnson here with Adam Dravetta on KLWN. And as we think back over the 2021 calendar year and, and all the different great KU athletics and, and sports memories from the year, one of the biggest ones that comes to mind in my head is not just the the win over, over Texas in football and Jared Casey making the two-point conversion catch, but the video itself of David Lawrence and Brian Haney in the broadcast booth and enjoying it and kind of um, playing out over the radio what a lot of fans were undergoing and envisioning and everything in that game. So now we bring on David Lawrence of the Jayhawk Radio Network here on RCST. David, do you have a favorite memory from the KU football season? Is it the Jared Casey play? Well, you know, I guess if you pin it down to one play, that would probably be it. But, you know, in looking at it, if you didn't have the TCU game in the West Virginia game where we had an opportunity to beat teams that have been in their system, established program, et cetera. And I think that takes away from the Jerry Casey catch. Uh, much like, you know, we, we we got beat pretty soundly after nearly defeating Oklahoma. So that took a little luster off of the, uh, the near win there. Uh, but, but I think the fact that we followed up the Texas win, but yes, one play, it would be the the Jared Casey catch for the two point conversion, and you know what 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 a story he is because he's followed that up. I mean, time and time again in um, in Fort Worth and at home against West Virginia. So yeah, that's a great story. Yeah, and and clearly there would, if you didn't have that game, I think still be some other good moments to think back on, whether it was the comeback drive at the end there for KU taking out South Dakota in the opener or just some of those other games that they were competitive. If you could go back in time, though, and and switch one of those close losses, TCU, West Virginia, Oklahoma, to a win, I'm sure Oklahoma probably would be the one, right? Would would that be the game because of the fact that's a top 25 team and everything? Yes, there's no doubt. And we did switch quarterbacks since then, but that just certainly just shows that we have a, a second quarterback that uh, has a potential. And, you know, one of the most valuable commodities in the future in the era of the portal is backup quarterback because no one that's got a lot of talent is going to sign up to be that backup quarterback. And, you know, that's going to, that's going to finish you off in a season when you have to have a quality person right there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, th- I think Jalen Daniels is certainly our quarterback of the future. I, th- I think he is, uh, I think he's a top tier in-, in our conference quarterback for next year. So that's, going to be really exciting um and moving forward but you know i think uh the hiring of travis golf you know getting it right with a guy that's grounded in kansas uh has a great background in a major conference and then just making a rational sound decision uh to, to hire lance leipold it just made sense and we got it right and we have a future that's going to be bright and fans are ecstatic about, you know, building the future of Kansas football. And, you know, we still have uh, some climbing to do up that hill, right? I mean, we talked about the four-year process and 
a lot of people do in establishing the program. But uh, I, I thought we made up maybe two years in that one year by the way we finished uh, 2021. So I'm, I'm excited about the future without question for Kansas football. Well, and what if I made you pick a, a favorite 21 or 2021 story about a, a player story? And I'm going to not allow you to take Jalen Daniels or Jared Casey. Those would be the two easy no. answers. Um, so do you have a favorite player story or just interaction with the player or growth of a player, uh, something that stood out to you the most about representing KU from the player side of things in KU football for this season? Mm, well, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I'm just thinking through and going to name some names. I mean, Kenny Logan was a big story for Kansas um, Devin Neal would certainly be a finalist to throw in there. Um, you know, Trevor Wilson was a great surprise. And uh, I thought Luke Grimm showed uh, a tremendous upside. And I love the fact that we get a local kid that's going to help us in so many ways because he's a tremendous blocker as well. Uh, Kyron Johnson was another guy that uh, just came into his own. Uh, prime time, end of the year, just like you dream about, you know, when players are supposed to jump out at you uh, to finish his career like he did. Uh, Jason Bean had that great game against Oklahoma. If it would have finished differently, I mean, that that would have looked um, very different on his career. Uh, Rich Miller had uh, some really nice games and the fact that he, he turned out to be another great decision to bring him in. Oh, so we've had a, a lot of them, but um, uh, I think I'm going to go with Kwame Lasseter, uh, a guy like Kyron Johnson that finishes a career just like you dream about, you know, and, and that's the way you're supposed to go out and to have that kind of final trio of games in your career and the fact that he helped Kansas in so many ways. And he's a, a guy that's trying to follow his dad and he's got a younger brother and another brother after him that we might see. And he's just such a, a strong advocate for the University of Kansas and Kansas football and Lance Leipold. So I would say that would be the top story after the one and two that you already mentioned. David, I'm kind of curious because I think all three of us involved in this conversation would be happy with how, in general, how, you know, in the context of where KU football was, happy with how the season went. But can you, if somebody came to you and, and said, you know, an outsider who all they saw was the record, what are the specifics you would point to and say, you know, what, what are the things, I know what I would answer, but I'm curious what you would answer. What are the specific things that would, that would lead you to say, you were happy or at least content or, or saw growth in a season that ultimately ended with a 2-10 and 10 record? And I'd go further than that statement, Adam. I would say, um, you know, the fact that we went more than one year into this program, and I would say the answer to that would be pull up the tape of South Dakota, and then we played that first game. Yeah, yeah against the FCS opponent. Just pull up that tape. 
I mean, we got our tails kicked at the line of scrimmage, offense and defense. We had our offensive line. We were trying a new concept with the outside zone scheme. And clearly, you know, missing spring ball hurt them more than anyone. Uh, trying to put together this makeshift offensive line with a couple of transfers that probably didn't even know each other yet. And then, you know, fast forward that to any of the last three games and what we were able to do uh, speaks volumes for how coachable this team was and how much they want to get better. And then, of course, our coaching staff that, you know, they, they held together. I mean, that's that's what Lance is all about and his staff. And first of all, the fact that Lance picked out, a, a, I think, a really good staff that he knew about. They've proven themselves to him and uh, a culture that's built on the confidence that you just continue and do it this way, you're going to get good. And uh, that, that's that's what they held tight to because early on, I mean, we could have easily lost that South Dakota game. There was a linebacker that came underneath uh, Jason Bean Pass, and, you know, and he had good hands. We don't lost that game. So, uh, we were close to losing that game. At the end of the year, we were competing and even beating teams that were much, much better than that. So I guess I would, I would first of all, I wouldn't have that argument. I said, you know, because there's a lot of naysayers that have been out there. But anyone that's seen the program and been around for these 13 years where we have struggled and we didn't make as good decisions in hiring coaches and even athletics directors, that we got it right, that we've got our coach in place. And let's face it, he was dealt a, a set of cards that he did not control. And, you know, there's not a waiver wire in NCAA football. And he, he had a couple, he had three actually potential NFL players that, uh, that left in the portal that he couldn't do anything about because they didn't really know him. Uh, and I'm, <laughs> I don't know this, but I'm just guessing if they all had to do it all over again in looking in the rearview mirror, they would have thought, wow, I wish I would held on and, and been a part of this growing Kansas team. So uh, I guess that would be a, a long-worded answer, Adam. Well, you also get to uh, be on the call for the KU women's basketball games, David, and they're off to a 9-1 and start. We're going to be doing a, uh, a fun little thing coming up in a little and we're going to put out like a bracket with best memories of of the KU athletic season we're going to have a KU basketball region KU football region um, just kind of a, an off the quarter off the field region which would include things like hiring Travis Goff and, and so forth and then we're going to have our KU other sports side of things KU women's basketball getting off to a nine and one start I would imagine will be on there so uh, what's been so impressive about that front of things because we've talked about it a little but we haven't necessarily gone super in depth and i figure you'd be uh, uh about as good of a person to ask on this front well i'm glad you did ask it because i mean i think i i even tweeted it out that this this is our year for, for kansas basketball of as a uh, coach brandon snyder uh, he inherited a, a roster he couldn't do much about because they just don't move around in women's basketball like in men's basketball, and he couldn't really get his own guys in there. Uh, we knew we had a really good player in Holly Kurskeeter, uh, but they have added to that, and they've gone you know outside of the country and brought in 
some some ladies from Europe that I think he's he's uh, done well with every pick that he had. And for the first time in many years, I mean, the one thing you don't see uh, really at any level is six uh, six athletic bigs, and they just don't come around very often. And I guess it'd be I guess add six inches. And that, you know, that would be the men's side of it. You just don't see the athletes with that kind of height. And we've got this in Tiana Jackson. She's a junior from Chicago. You got to come out and watch her. She blocks shots. She is improving vastly. She needs to be more of an offensive scorer. She just needs to shoot more because she's got that. Uh, Mia Vucic. uh, is a blast to, to watch. I mean, she's got the confidence. She's going to throw up eight threes in a given game in the future, um, an experienced player in Anaya Thomas. Uh, probably my favorite is Ioana Hatsileonti. She's a lady from Greece. Yeah, try to put that on your back. <laughs> but she just, she's got that great European game, no-look passes. She's got more no-look passes than anyone on the men's side. Uh, she, she's just a lot of fun. Just a sophomore from Athens, Greece. Uh, she's going to be so fun to watch. We've got uh, bigs coming off the bench now that can play, and Katrina Jessen, uh, Zakiah Franklin, an experienced guard that just had a solid game in Wichita, and Chandler Prater, a local kid that's extremely tough from Kansas City. So uh, there's a lot of names for you to watch. Some of them aren't easy to pronounce, but I can help you with those. But I'm, I'm <laughs> anxious, looking forward to see a big leap, and yes, uh, I've compared in many years since I covered the women and Kansas football about, you know, where we were at, the struggles, and getting better, and uh, you can see um, an improvement coming forward, very similar to what football showed in the fall for women's basketball moving ahead in uh, 2022. He's David Lawrence. You can hear him on those KU Women's Games. David, before we let you go, one last thing with Adam. All right, David, one last thing. Uh, Would it be more difficult, thinking back to your playing days and your broadcasting days now, would it be more difficult to eat a large meal before playing a football game or before broadcasting a football game? (laughs) Uh, Great question, but much easier broadcasting. (laughs) Okay. I just didn't know if the nerves kept you from doing it during the broadcasting. Uh, no, no, you got to be easy on the diet, Dr. Peppers. That's my go-to favorite. I, I usually try to wait until halftime so I can get a little pick-me-up and caffeine, but that'll, that'll eat away at your voice. I know Haney will never go there, uh, but, but I got to have one at halftime. Otherwise, just lots of water and, uh, yeah, there's okay to, to have some food because, you know, football broadcasts, you know, it, it's it's a long event, especially you're talking about Crimson and Blue Show starting out 90 minutes before, and then you have a game that goes nearly four hours. So, yeah, you need some uh, you need some nutrition to get you going through today. Well, I would not have thought that uh, David Lawrence's favorite drink and my wife would be the same Diet Dr Pepper. Who knew? But that's oh, what we find oh, out. Man. <laughs> oh man! Hey, just go to the media room of Kansas. Diet Dr Pepper. I'm going to start saving them and hiding them in the corner. I'm also a huge fan of the uh, of the Dr Pepper. You can tell uh, you and I. I don't know if we've. I don't think we've had the chance to meet yet in person, David. But 
you get a look at me. You can tell I'm not I'm not putting the diet in front of the words. I'm just drinking the regular stuff. <laughs> well, I need that. Uh, <laughs> I need the diet certainly, but uh, yeah, that's my go-to drink for broadcasting. Try to wait till halftime because it's probably not great for your records. But uh, yeah, I look forward to meeting you sometime soon, Adam. All right, that is David Lawrence. You can hear him on the Jayhawk Radio Network. David, thank you so much for the time as always, man. Okay, I'm going to be looking for your tweet, too, about who I'm going to be working uh, on uh, Wednesday. Yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see on that. We'll wait and see if uh, KU ends up having a game on Wednesday like he's rumored to have. But uh, David Lawrence, we'll see if he's working. Like he said, on Wednesday, you might be able to hear him right here on KLWN. Happy New Year, David, and uh, talk to you next time. Yeah, happy New Year to you both. Thank you. All right, that's David Lawrence of the Jayhawk Radio Network. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Coming up next, NFL Monday overreactions. Quarter till five. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on your Monday, December 27th with Adam Dravetta, Derek Johnson. And because it is a Monday, because there was a bunch of NFL played yesterday, it's time to overreact to what we saw with our NFL Monday overreactions. I'll start things off. Cliff Kingsbury is going to get fired because he continues to just tank at the end of seasons. He's gonna if he gets fired, he's gonna have to move, and he won't be able to keep his softcore porn bed that he has. Whoa! If, did you see the bed he's got? I've seen those beds out on patios in one thing, and it's late night Cinemax flicks. I am unaware to what type there's of a film picture, you were talking a about. Pic- okay, well, you're you're aware of the picture of him sitting in his living room <laughs> yeah. in the background against the fire. Yeah, pit. it looks like a he's place got like a Doctor bed. Evil would own. Um, sure, Doctor Evil. Well, Let's say that that sounds better. <laughs> An Austin Powers film. Yeah. Uh, this is Cliff Kingsbury in the first half of seasons. At Texas Tech, he went 23-13. and 13. Second half of seasons, he went 12-27. and 27. Cliff Kingsbury in the first half of seasons at Arizona, 15-8-1. Second half, he is now 8-15. He just tanks in the second half of seasons for whatever the reason is. I, I don't understand why, but he just does. And you went from being a team that was viewed as one of the best in the uh, this wasn't just a situation of hey they started the season well but they kept fluky. it wasn't like the Broncos right. started 3 and 0 it wasn't like the 9 and 0 Chiefs from the first Alex Smith year or second 2013, Alex, whatever it was 2013 yeah 2013 yeah. where it was like okay but they haven't really played anyone like they beat the brakes off the Rams who the week before it just beat the brakes off the Bucks their only loss was the Packers yeah and it was, at, a, at a time and it was, was on a, close a weird game a weird game in. yeah yeah so it was like, yeah, this team is legitimately good, but now they're falling off completely. I think Cliff Kingsbury, if they if they continue to lose, um, if they lose one of these next two and then they lose in the first round of the playoffs, I think he legit might get fired. And then becomes Oregon's offensive coordinator. There you go. Um, he can work for Lance Leipold. He can be our uh, oh, I'd take it offensive analyst. Sure. I'm sure he would yeah. take that job. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Uh, I'm moving on. This is somewhat of a conspiracy theory. Uh, Andy Reid uh, is buying a bunch of cheeseburgers for all these teams who help uh, win games that uh, happen to break the Chiefs' way in playoff races. The Dolphins, the last couple years against the Patriots, the Titans and the Bill or the the Bills and the um, uh, the Patriots yesterday, the Patriots and the Colts the week before, uh, the Titans and the Dolphins. We'll see if the Dolphins get cheeseburgers catered. Andy Reid is buying cheeseburgers for all these teams because since he's been here, 
things have kept breaking our way, the Chiefs' way, uh, with when it comes to other teams mm. uh, losing at the right time for the Chiefs' playoff seating. One good deed turns to others. You give somebody a hamburger, they're more motivated to play. Boom, good deed turns into another. And he always said in back. Philadelphia, his in his own players, he said, "Hey, if you if you have a good game, you'll get cheeseburgers on me <laughs> after the game." He's reaching out to other teams now and saying, "Hey." Cheeseburger on me after the game if you can go ahead and uh, and upset these guys. Maybe there's more power to cheeseburgers than we thought. You know, it's one thing to be like, oh, we're getting a trophy. Cheeseburger's more tangible. You eat it. It tastes yeah. good. Maybe that should be the Super Bowl trophy. This is like a big cheeseburger. Uh, okay, here's my second one. The Chiefs broke the Chargers. The Chargers went from very closely almost beating the Chiefs, and then at that point they would have been tied for the division lead but held the advantage because they would have had the the two-game sweep over the Chiefs and they would have had an advantage in divisional record. They went from having the advantage in the division with a pretty lackluster final three games, Houston, Denver, and Las Vegas, to now all of a sudden being broken. You lose to the Chiefs. Now you're all of a sudden two games back in the division. Then you lose to the Texans. Chiefs beat the Steelers. Now you can't even win the AFC West. Now you still have Denver and Las Vegas, which I didn't think would really be a problem for the Chargers, but after seeing how they played against the Texans, seeing how bad the defense has been for the Chargers of late, which I really like Brandon Staley, how aggressive he is on fourth downs. I I like how he views a lot of things, but he was brought in as a defensive coordinator, and their defense is pretty bad, especially considering some of the talent they have. I mean, they have been one of the worst defenses in the NFL by points allowed per game. I think the Chiefs might have broke them, and now the Chargers are to a point because of the Texans' loss. If they don't win these next two games, which, again, they'll probably be favored in both, the Broncos and the Raiders, but they're not going to be favored by, like, 10 points or anything like that. And the Las Vegas game to end the year is on the road. There's a real chance the Chargers miss the playoffs now. Part of me wonders with Brandon Staley, I think he, as much as I believe in the analytics and the teams don't go for it on fourth down enough, I think he might take it too much as gospel. And I wonder how many of those plays, uh, I'm looking specifically at the end of the first half, um, because you you went from potentially up seven to now only up four. And and anyway, you know, things happen. We went over that game. But overall, I just wonder, you know, you've only got, you know, if it's fourth down and two or fourth down and goal from the four, you've only got in any given game plan, you've only got three or four plays that can get you that many yards. You say, no, these are winning plays. To get us four yards in this situation, I don't. You know, at the at the if you're at the point where your chamber's empty of plays that can get you that many yards, then it doesn't matter what the analytics say. And so that that goes to me an overall fault with belief with with taking analytics exclusively as yeah. gospel. Well, it's it's like if and I not, told and you not going in, in the game, you in, know how the game is going. Yeah, in basketball, if I said, "Hey, you're only allowed to shoot four three pointers a game," yeah, you would have to alter your approach and and I know there's not a limit on what you can and can't do with fourth downs. But you have a limit of how many your successful... point is that it's a small it ends up being a smaller sample size that sometimes the numbers don't end up working out your way over the course of a 162 game MLB season. Yeah. Numbers might go your way, but then that's also the problem with with what we've seen with like the Ace for instance. Once they get to the playoffs, the numbers don't yeah, always exactly. go your way, right? So the playoffs is almost more indicative of the NFL and I I agree like I love analytics and I think you should be more aggressive on fourth down but maybe there is a certain line and maybe he is kind of towing that line a little too far um uh moving on uh I'm gonna bring up the Bill Self um mac and cheese no he uh 
you might be looking behind his shoulder right now at a very uh, a, a streak that he is very famous for. Might be in jeopardy as the Kansas City Chiefs won their sixth consecutive AFC mm. West title. Are they gunning <laughs> for 14 straight? Well, they're that's insane. They're not even halfway there yet. Um, what would be more impressive? It would have to be. It would have to be that. Well, I don't know. Well, one hit, but neither had ever happened. But you see, the thing the K- is, with KU streak had never yeah. happened. What What did the Patriots? I wonder what the longest they ever got with the division record. Well, um, they they didn't win it no two. Because uh, they didn't even go to the playoffs, and in, again in 08, they didn't win it because they didn't have Tom Brady. So, I don't know. Mm, I don't know. The Colts won nine in the 2000s. It's probably the division one because of the fact that the the NFL is designed just, for parity. Exactly. You can recruit in college, but you could convince me that in college basketball, it's like, but you also have to cycle out the players more yeah, yeah. more often. So it becomes more difficult. And in the NFL, if you just have Patrick Mahomes and a good coach for 20 years, that's going to help you with the divisions. But I, I do think it is the NFL. So, But I don't know, man. Mm. KU is looking behind him Look right out. now. Hot seat. At what point do you have, like KU had the, the, the championship rings all in a row right outside their, uh, yeah. their locker room. But they don't give a trophy for the no, they don't give, they don't give They'll a just ring. bring the t-shirts out, yeah, I guess. Yeah, they bring the t-shirts, frame all the t-shirts. Well, that's what's unfortunate with the NFL. I, I saw you tweeted about this over the weekend, that the NFL doesn't allow the teams to just, like, make their own division champion that's so here. That's stri- uh, the NCAA. Because then they can say something. The that's NCAA doesn't let, doesn't let um, they don't, they, back in the day, really, when I was a kid, you could, if you were a team and, and you made the Final Four, you could design your own Final Four shirts. Now they have uniform Final Four shirts yeah. across the NCAA. I hate that. At least you get, like, KU can do their own Big 12 ones so that they can do the streak and stuff yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. which is cool enough. But now all in the NFL, you win your division. It just says whatever direction your division is, is ours. We <laughs> run the West. The yeah. West is ours. That's all they say. Anyway, that's my own soapbox, but uh, that's my no, I like overreaction. That. All right, my last one. Chiefs this are is, gunning for 14. I, I, I'm worried if this is too much of an overreaction, but you know what? It's NFL Monday overreactions. It's a safe space. Houston is not that far away from being a playoff contender. The AFC South is not a good division. Um, the tight, Well, I don't know. Maybe that's a little too harsh because the Titans are in contention for the one seed. The Colts are maybe the best team in the AFC outside of the Chiefs right now. Uh, but the Jaguars are not good, so you should be able to beat up wins there. And even though the Colts are playing that well right now, they're still at the end of the day a 9-6 and team. I think the Houston Texans are not that far away from being a playoff contender. They have as many wins this year as they did last year, amazingly, even though last year you had Deshaun Watson. And Davis Mills has been playing really good. He was a third-round pick in the NFL, he or, or in the NFL draft this past year. He was a guy who was a former number one high school recruit, but he ended up leaving early from Stanford. If he would have stayed another year in college and had a good year this year at Stanford, with the lack of, of really good QB class this year, there's a chance he might have vaulted himself into being a first-round quarterback this year, and you got that guy. And over the past three games since he returned as the starter, he's completing almost 70% of his passes, over 260 yards per game, five touchdowns to one interception. They've beaten the Chargers now. They've beaten the Titans. They're going to have some high draft picks, although I think they owe one of their first-round picks for the Laramie Tunzel pick, but all their rounds will still be near the top besides that one. They might not be that far away from being in this, like, because think about it. If you just get to, like, 7 and 8, you're in contention right now. And I don't think they're as far away from that as you might think. Um, I'm going to give much less evidence than you just gave. Mm-hmm. I agree with you, but my evidence is just that I, I believe, and I've never, I've yet to find an exception to this, 
I, at any given moment, you are not more than one year away from going to the playoffs in the NFL. I firmly believe that. The way the NFL is set up, no team is ever within more than mm-hmm. one year of going to the playoffs. Yeah. Doesn't um, mean Super Bowl contention, but yeah, the go, playoffs, yeah. yeah. All right, very quickly, as we only have about 30 seconds left. Um, uh, State Farm is currently losing their minds because they're once again getting their hopes up about a Mahomes and Rodgers Super Bowl. Uh, So the marketing department at State Farm going crazy right now. I would be willing to bet they've already shot the Rodgers-Mahomes Super Bowl commercial because they shoot all those in the summer, and they'll be firing it away. In the Super Bowl, those if My finally goodness. that's they've been after they've been wanting this since Mahomes started. They would make so much money. I bet you they would have something. They would say something to both. If if you win Super Bowl MVP in the post game, you have to say something. Um, real quick, loser of the week, Jaguars. You were competitive. Trevor Lawrence wasn't terrible, and you still lost, which was good because you maintained the number one pick. If you would have lost, or if you would have won that game, you would have moved down to the number three pick. Which you might say, what's really the difference between the one, the first pick, and the third pick? Well, by the draft value chart, that's worth an extra first round pick. So pretty big deal. All right. That is our NFL Monday overreactions with Adam Dravada, Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk.